Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 105 of the Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, I'm joined by physical therapist and friend, Dr. Sarah Court, and we are busting fitness myths, including if you should stretch before workouts, if you should do the exact same exercises for both sides of your body, and if you actually have to give something up forever just because it hurts. So you may remember Dr. Sarah Court from, I'm just going to keep calling her Dr. Sarah Court as well, from episode 98 when she joined us to talk about if you should go to physical therapy. Um, That was an awesome episode. And after it, I realized, Sarah, hey, um, not only are you super smart and really cool, uh, but it would be fun to continue to chat about fitness myths and busting them because there is so much nonsense on the internet about what you should and shouldn't be doing with your body. And I want to empower you with the knowledge so that you can make the right decision for yourself. So I'm really excited that Sarah is joining us today to share her wealth of knowledge. She is a physical therapist with a doctorate in physical therapy from Mount St. Mary's University. And she has experience in orthopedic and neurologic settings, rehabilitating patients post-surgery or injury, and managing chronic neuromuscular conditions. When I say she knows her stuff, she really knows her stuff. So enjoy today's episode and let us bust some fitness myths. All right. So today we have something a little bit different, but also very exciting. And I'm really excited. See how many times I can say excited to bring a new segment, if you will, to the Body Nerd Show, where we get to ask Dr. Sarah Court all the questions that we have about movement and fitness and life and pain, and she will make us smarter and wiser. So thank you, Sarah, for being here today. You're the bomb. I hope to uh, suck up some of your wisdom through the computer and through the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And also, I'm going to just hire you to be my hype man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I walk into a room, Alex refers yeah. and just says all this stuff. Get ready. <laughs> that would be my life's greatest honor to be your oh, hype yeah. woman. <laughs> Well, we have already chatted on a previous episode about things you like to get nerdy about, but for people who have just like dropped in on this episode and they're like, where am I? What's going on? What do you like to get nerdy about? Well, you know, my answer last time still sort of stands, which was carbs. (laughs) There's so much to discover about preparation, but you know, it always kind of depends. And one of the things that at the moment that I'm sort of seeing the most of is way that I like work with patients and have them sort of explain to me what's going on with their body and kind of trying to do like a CSI, you know, detective thing on what's going on with them. I'm actually doing more of it on my own body than mm. I maybe ordinarily would. Like, why is my left thigh front of my leg kind of giving me an issue? What did I do? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So it, it's always easy, I think, especially if you're in the movement business to take the stuff that you know and apply it outwards towards other people. And always be thinking about, like, I'll wake up sometimes and be like, oh, I wonder if I tried this with this patient, if that would make a difference. You know, you're, it's always sort of running in the back of your head. And I tend to, like, you know, you know like all good doctors, completely ignore my own body. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend like not everything's fine all the time, always. It's great. I'm starting to try to do a little bit more of that for myself. So I guess I'm nerding out on self-care. I, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. 
whole new world. Which actually I think would be super interesting to debunk our first fitness myth, which actually we hadn't talked about and I hadn't written down, but then you mentioned that. And then I remembered about having to do stuff on like exactly the same from side to side. So would you share a little bit too of this like self-care exploration experimentation that you've been doing over the last couple months? Yeah. So I um, have had a few different surgeries on my right hip, including the the most recent one, which was seven or so years ago, was a hip replacement. And I'm essentially totally functional. Both of my legs work. I can do all the stuff that I want to do. But I recently discovered that I cannot do like a single leg, not even a pistol squat, just like a single leg, sit down to a chair and back up again on the right side, the, the surgery side. And I can do it on the left. And I was like, well, you know, again, this doesn't come up in my daily life very much. I'm not trying to sit down in a chair with one leg, you know, on the regular, but, and this is what I talk about a lot with patients. Nobody's perfectly symmetrical, but what we want to look at is if there's some movement or some area in your body, or if it's a range of motion or strength or whatever, where it's vastly different side to side. So in this case, I can do the thing on one side and I a hundred percent fail on the other side that's something to look at. Not that, again, they're, they're never going to be identical because we're not robots, but you want the differences to be minimized because that's how you then prevent potential future injury because of such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on trying to get that single leg, sit to chair, um, back up again on the right side, and it, it's getting better. But I'm discovering along the way, all these, all these other things are cropping up in other parts of my body. And at first I was like, oh, this can't possibly be related. And then I was like, don't be an idiot. Of course it's related. (laughs) It's changed. This has changed. So, you know, there's some stuff going on now with my left leg because of like having to hold it up while I'm doing this single leg squat on the other side. And it, it has never really done it that much. And it's not psyched about it. So there's like sort of this cascade. And that's, I think what I'm referring to when I'm talking about really paying attention in your own body to, uh, we understand everything is connected. So I have to assume that it's related to that because nothing else has changed. So it's that kind right. of like detective drilling down, paying attention and linking things together um, and, then, and then figuring out what to do about it. But the way that I've been working to get better at that single leg squat on the, on the right side is a whole series of exercises that I do not do on the left side because I don't need to, because I can only right. do it on that left side. So, you know, especially in the yoga world, we're very much taught as yoga teachers, you do the same thing on the left as you do mm-hmm. on the right, because, you know, otherwise you're going to become imbalanced. <laughs> Which is <laughs> like, I already started imbalanced. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know. If you were perfectly symmetrical to begin with, fine. But if you're not, you know, it's not doing anything to, to affect that. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, perhaps not in a vinyasa yoga class, would you, would you do this? But you yourself in your own workout, or if you're working, if you're a teacher and you're working with a private client, or you could always, you know, you could do it in a class where you set it up as an experiment. Like, Hey, everybody try this on this side, try this on the other side. Are they different? The one that you were worse at, do it some more. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So, you know, I do think that's an important thing to start to pay attention to is that we, we absolutely do not have to do the same exercises the same way side to side. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we for sure are not robots uh, at all. <laughs> I really like that idea too of, um, cause you know, a lot of times clients will ask me, well, well, like how many should I do? Like how many? And just like you're saying of like, just feel for it. Like if one side gets exhausted faster, okay, cool. Like that's probably the weaker side. Maybe it needs like a few more repetitions, yeah. but really like tuning into 
the differences and subtleties of what you need, even as it comes up. Because I know sometimes it can feel like whack-a-mole, you know, where you're like, well, I'm working on this one thing. And like you're saying, now I have this other thing and I didn't know it was a thing, but it's all part of the process of becoming more integrated is the word I want to say of just like everything working together more harmoniously so that you can move more freely and without pain. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, just to, to, to sort of jump on that, like how many do I do question, which is Mm. people ask me that. And I'm, I'm always like, like shrug emoji because (laughs) so much depends. And a lot of the time what I'll say to people is like, you know, the, the standard thing that you hear all the time is like three sets of 10 of, of but that's a completely invented nonsensical thing. It's Mm -hmm. very easy to say (laughs) and Mm -hmm. people to remember. But a lot of the time, you know, what I'll emphasize for people is like, if this is a brand new thing, you've never been doing this movement, I would rather you do fewer and you do them really nicely and well versus you do more of them. And by the end, it's a total mess and you're, it's not, it doesn't look like what we're trying to do in the first place, you know? So you don't always have to do a, there's a story that I love of, of course, a friend of mine's dad who was told to do uh, shoulder shrugs and they told him to do 10. And so he interpreted that as like, if 10 is good, a hundred must be better. So oh, no. this, this is an elderly gentleman. And so he was started doing like a hundred shoulder shrugs a day. And then he was like, my neck hurts. And he was like, well, yeah, a hundred is not automatically better than 10. Like, it's not, it's not how it goes. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. The whole, like, how many do I do? I think it's a good way to turn that around. And instead of me prescribing, you must complete this number instead you want to have the person be like paying attention while they're doing it and see how it feels, see if they're fatiguing, uh, see if they notice the quality of their movement is getting worse, you know, mm-hmm. so that it, so that it, it's another way of, you know, it, it's sort of putting the responsibility, but also giving ownership to the person of like, no, you don't get just to zone out and, and go through this list of things and be, hey, I want, this is an opportunity for you actually to pay attention to what's yeah. going on in your body and how things feel. Yeah. So, so I usually sort of set it up that way. Yeah. You got to pay attention. Another, well, and like you're saying too, of just like form and like checking in with your posture and positioning. And once, you know, ribs start to flare and lower back is all over the place and your head is hanging off like a melon on the vine, you know, you've probably surpassed what you are strong enough to be able to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, awesome. Well, so there's your first fitness myth. You do not have to do things identical on both sides, which has given my brain to such relief to not have to count. <laughs> like I hate counting because usually, you know, I'm listening to a podcast or listening to music or like thinking about what I'm going to eat later. And so, you know, something that might be helpful for um, those listening is, you know, set a timer. So maybe it's how many great repetitions can I do in 45 seconds? And then maybe I do that a couple times if that is, if that feels appropriate rather than sticking to this like sort of arbitrary, you know, three sets of 10. Right. Fun, fun. Now I'm like, Oh, let me go do some more hip stuff. (laughs) Okay. So what about stretching before a workout? Cause that's another question I get often is like, okay, but you know, what warm up should I do before I work out? Um, what are your thoughts? So, I mean, you know, the stretching, we open the stretching box like it's going to be like one of those movies where like someone opens a box and like 10,000 butterflies and like moths and bats and stuff. Like there's so much, there's so much in the stretching box. Pandora's box. Really to, to unpack lots of feelings, lots of ideas, lots of opinions. Generally speaking, you sort of want to think about it as the time before you're doing whatever your exercise is, is you're preparing your body for that exercise. So Mm -hmm. 
let's say I'm getting ready to do a, a routine where I'm doing like squats with weights or something like that. The ideal thing for my body is to start to increase blood flow to the muscles that are going to be working to start to wake them up a little bit as it were so that my body is ready to do the thing that's a bit harder than what the warm up is right so static stretching like if i then just like lay down on my back and pull my knee into my chest feels nice but you know it doesn't necessarily do anything especially useful to prepare the body to go do the thing that you're about to do mm-hmm. so but what does prepare the body is dynamic stretching so sh- movements that don't end you know mm-hmm. so like, you know, arm circles or twists through your torso or any of that kind of stuff. It, you can think about dynamic stretching almost like a, like your sun salutation is kind of like a series of dynamic things. You know, you're never really hanging out too long in any one position. So that's what's really useful for your body before you do something. The sort of static stretch, meaning I get into the shape and I hold it, is really useful afterwards. Yeah. Um, is what I found. And, you know, again, there's arguments. Nobody really knows, as far as I know, from what I've read, what actually even happens with stretching, what it actually is doing. There, it's very unclear research-wise. Mm-hmm. What I see in, in people that I work with is that for the most part, it's effective. It's something that they need to be doing after they do their working out, especially if the workout is something that is tending to make your muscles kind of tight. Mm-hmm. Nobody, please don't at me about the word tight. But, <laughs> but you know, like the runners that I work with, you know, the, the issues in their body are happening because running does tend to make everything tighter and tighter. It's not something that's like making your body more flexible, mm-hmm. so, you know, working on the, that kind of static stretch is useful afterwards. Um, especially if that's what your kind of workout is, even for somebody who is, you know, like me, hypermobile in a lot of places, nobody's hypermobile everywhere. Cause otherwise your whole body right. would fall apart. So there's things that I don't particularly work on cause I don't have to, but there are other areas in my body that can get a little too aggressively tight. And it is helpful to me to keep those, bo- those parts of my body more mobile. So that's where I go in and do those static stretches on those parts, but not necessarily everywhere. And I, and I also don't do it that much because I don't, I don't have to in my body because I maintain yeah. that level of flexibility because I have this, this hypermobility that's specific to me. So that was a very long-winded way of saying before your workout, the kind of stuff you want to be doing is sort of flowing movement, thinking about warming up, thinking about getting blood flow, you know, mimicking the shape of the movement that you're about to do, but maybe with no weight. So let's say you're doing just like air squats and maybe you're not going as deep into it or whatever, but just starting to wake up your body in that movement. Yeah. Then when you go to do your thing, that's when you add your, you know, kettlebell or your whatever. Um, yeah. That's, that's the sort of what I see as, as being the most effective way. Yeah. Yeah, because I do a lot of, and I've done an episode on that as well, of just, you know, like shoulder circles and, you know, spine rotations, exactly what you're talking about, of just moving your body and also using that as another opportunity to find, like, where do I feel restriction? Where do things feel like asleep, you know, Mm -hmm. so that, okay, noted, let me do a little bit more prep work for that area so that I can then go into my workout without worrying about it. But I think too, that there's this idea that like, you have to have like a 20 minute warm up or like something really, really specific exactly to that workout. And, you know, absolutely what you're saying of like, do a movement that's specific to it. But if you are moving all of your joints in all of the ways, it's okay if you do the same type of warm up with like a little bit different, you know, difference in there Um, every single time, like you're not, you're not going to fall apart. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, depending on what the thing is that you're getting ready to do, but to your point, 
just taking all of your joints through their range of motion is a really good way to warm up your body. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll do your wrists, elbows, shoulders, neck, thoracic, you know, lumbar, all of that. You're just like head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> yeah, I said every time I'm like, yeah, yeah. shoulders, knees, and toes. Um, but but that's um, that's a really good way to do it. Yeah. And thanks for the reminder too, that even if we are flexible in other areas that you can still have restrictions. For me, the one I'm working on right now is my quads, mm. which I'm like, I don't even sit a lot. Like I'm standing at my workstation for a majority of the day, but oh my God, yeah. it's so why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think a huge fitness myth that comes up and I literally got a DM uh, last week from someone who's like, Hey, I'm having this pain here. And I went to the doctor and they said, I can never run again. Mm. Uh, So what are your thoughts on if something hurts that I need to give that activity up forever? Yeah. Uh, And I want to say this with, you know, utmost respect to the doctors out there. I it is changing, but I do tend to see less of a comprehension on what movement actually entails. And so it's easier to say, don't do the thing that hurts or you should never do it again versus my job, which is to actually unpack that, you know, and, and look at the pieces of it and see what we can do. Right. So that's not that doctor's job. That's my job. Sometimes that is the case. Right. There are, there are occasions when that is true, when this kind of movement, because of the variety of, of things that are showing up for you in particular, it's not the ideal thing for you to be doing for your body. And in that instance, then I've spent a lot of time trying to find replacements. Like what is something that gives you that same endorphins? What is something that you enjoy equally, but doesn't, you know, trash your knees as much as running does or something like that. But the other side of it is, you know, a lot of the time when people have injuries from us, uh, activity or sport, it happens because the whatever the thing that they're doing, you're you're progressing too fast. Mm. Um, there's this really funny meme out there that's like a pie chart at about like you know how do you injure yourself? And the tiny tiny slice is you know like I tripped and fell, and the rest of it is I felt fine, so I yes I felt fine, so I kept going. Yes, oh, across the board, that's what I hear from people like. I was All doing one and I know we, I know you and I said just 10 minutes, but I was feeling really good. So I did 20, you know, and then my ankle started hurting and I'm like, Nye. so, yes. you know, a yes. thing, you know, how to progress appropriately is a really big thing. And it, the, the sort of short answer is it's slower than most people would like, but <laughs> because we're in a hurry to get back to the thing we love. Right. But, yeah. you know, I, I have a, a, I had a patient one time when I first met him, he was in his mid thirties, terrible, terrible knee pain, couldn't even climb stairs. And, you know, I don't know how long it was, maybe nine months later, maybe a year later, he's running like half marathon, no problem. But we started with, you walk one minute, you run one minute, you walk one minute, repeat that a few times, and then you stop. Right. It's the idea that like, yes, you can, you know, you can get to the mountaintop, but you're going to take small steps to get there. You're not, you're not running there. Right. Right. A lot of the time when people have, have things that happen and they're like, oh, well, I just, this, I can't do this thing because I got hurt doing this thing. It's because of maybe they weren't to your point, warming up enough before or stretching enough after. Maybe they were just trying to like, they're like, well, I used to run and I haven't done it in 10 years. So I put on my sneakers and I ran five miles. And like, oh, your body's just not ready, you know, in particular, 
if you're, you know, above a certain age and your tissues, tissues are changing and your lifestyle has been different from when you were in college and running versus what you're doing now, you know, you have to take all of these, it's a biopsychosocial, right? You have to take all of these other things into consideration. So, you know, again, there are some people for whom certain types of exercise, it's just not ideal. And, and I keep coming back to running because I do see this in particular with runners where they yeah. are really obsessed with running, which is fine. And I'm not, that's not a commentary on a, a good or a bad thing, but the runners that I know love running and it, right. it provides a, an endorphin. It provides something, it becomes part of their identity. And so the idea of, you know, completely giving it up a lot of the time is, is not worth it to them versus, you know, they'll, they'll put up with being injured or they'll run through pain or stuff like that. So, you know, it, it just becomes about maybe taking a step back. If this is something where it's, where it's not going to, you know, continue to injure you in some way to keep doing it, then it's a question of like, okay, how do we modify this? How do we maybe like take this all the way down to 10% and you're 10% for a while and you're not going to like it because it's going to be a lot less than you want to do. But this is how we get you to where you're going to get safely without hurting yourself by actually strengthening you appropriately mm-hmm. and, and allowing your body to, to build the strength. It needs time. It takes mm-hmm. time, right? It's mm-hmm. not an instant overnight. This thing that, that you and I were talking about that where I'm working on for my, on that right side of my leg. Um, I started it in January, you know, and we're now in March and I'm still working on it. It's not, it's better, but it's not, it's not perfect by any means. Right. And it's, and I'm, and I'm doing it slowly. I do stuff that I do for it. I do twice a week. That's it. Because it's a whole new thing that my body's trying to figure out how to do. And it would be kind of diabolical for me to just like every day suddenly start doing this brand new thing that's incredibly hard to my body and just be like, deal with it. <laughs> so like, and then my leg fell off. Right. I'm like, I have no idea why. I can't, I can't even understand. So, you know, that that's a big part of it, I think, is is, you know, if you hurt yourself doing something if you care about it and you want to keep doing it, then we have to sort of sit down and figure out, okay, how do we do this intelligently, thoughtfully in a way that allows your body to gain the strength that it needs to do it successfully. Or we figure out, okay, what is maybe swimming does it for you? Maybe like your Peloton and, and it's better, it's less impact on your knees. It's less painful. Maybe you just really like the being outdoors part. And maybe you discover that like, oh, actually if I just go for a really long walk, I get a lot of the same stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's my sort of long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, that's such a great point too of like, you know, not taking the movement at face value of like, well, it's just running, but like, what are the parts of it? What are the elements of it yeah. that are the things that I'm missing? And how can we re-engineer that to better fit where I'm at right now? Very little in the body is like permanent, forever, never going to change because your cells are constantly turning over and your body is constantly turning over. There's always change and growth that can be made. But I think, you know, exactly to your point about like running and something else, like my brother broke his leg and had to have surgery and he's got plates and stuff. Running just doesn't feel good anymore. And that's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, like, let's look for a new thing. And so he's taken up bike riding and he loves bike riding and it gets him that same endorphin rush. So really just like taking a moment to think about like, 
what are the elements of this thing that I like and how can I work collaboratively with my healthcare provider to figure out how to get back to that thing? Yeah. Because I think often too, like you absolutely understand movement and are an active person. Like if you have a physical therapist or you have a doctor who is not a runner and is not an active person, they don't get it in the same way. And so you may also have to get your second or third opinion and find someone who is willing to work with you collaboratively to help you get back to where you want to be. Yeah. And, and their perspective is different. You know, a doctor's mm-hmm. not looking at it in terms of like, am I crushing this person's dreams? Which is a lot right. of time, what I'm thinking about. They're thinking about the integrity of the joint. And is this person going to need a knee replacement in five years? They're, they're thinking about the mechanics a lot of the time and things like that. And I've also worked with people where they're like, I understand that this is the path that I'm going down. This thing means this much to me that I'm willing Mm -hmm. to take the risk that the damage that I'm doing will require some sort of surgical intervention in the future. But then at least that way, the person involved is getting to make a choice. They get all the information and they get to make an informed decision about what they're doing with their body as opposed to just being told, never do this thing again. Like when I first started having problems with my hip, I had a PT tell me, you should never do yoga again. And it, at the time, yoga was like the only thing I was doing. It was like the very beginning of my like love affair with yoga. Mm-hmm. I didn't know very much because this has been going on for a while. Now, but I didn't really know enough to, to debate her on it. I, this was before I was even a yoga teacher, let alone a physical therapist. So I was just sort of like, miserable, but I guess, okay. And then it didn't, my hip still felt terrible. So I was like, well, right. forget it. This person, you know, they just told me to stop doing the thing. They didn't give me other alternatives that might sort of fill the space. So I just went back to yoga because I was like, you know, it didn't make it any better to stop doing it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I love this thing. I want to keep doing this thing that I love, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. Well, and sometimes too, I think it's the thought of, oh, if you just stop doing this thing, everything will be fine without addressing the underlying, like, stuff that's going on and the dysfunction that is contributing to it anyways. Like your hip, it wasn't just the yoga was messing it up. It was exposing, right? What was going on. Exactly. Exactly. When it comes to like training too, I'm always thinking of like, okay, would you take your grandmother to hike Everest, just like out of the nursing home into Everest? (laughs) No. And yet, I mean, I even did this this weekend. Um, I was like, "Mm, I haven't been running like at all. Um, And I'm on a beach, but like, of course I could run barefoot. This will be fine. Totally fine. Um, and it was fine for like, I think I ran like four minutes and I was like, that's good. Check. Done. done." Um, but sometimes I find it fun to like kind of push the limits a little bit because then it exposes your weaknesses, which then I had a a calf muscle that was like, what is wrong with you? You are crazy. I'm like, all right, now I know I got to work there, but then re-engineering it. Okay. If I want to be able to run, let me start with like those intervals that you were talking about or that same movement, that same action, but not with weight or not standing up. Maybe I'm practicing the movement on my back or with, you know, props, like whatever, just to get really creative with the movement, have it fit you where you're at now. And then you can get to where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things I sort of think about a lot in terms of bodies, and this is maybe a little nerdy, sort of like more for the teachers out there, is uh, like sort of a simple way to break it down in your head is global versus local. You know, global being the whole you, which is the person running, local being your knee, your hip, your whatever. And sometimes you have to go in and do, like everyone loves functional movements, right? You know, everyone loves exercises that, that are, you know, quote unquote functional. Sometimes you have to go in and do like some not particularly functional looking thing, but something that really addresses that local 
issue. Like maybe you have to do like I do, uh, quad sets, like, you know, knee extension exercises with an ankle, you know, weight, it doesn't look like anything I do in real life, but that's what my leg needs. And that's going to then allow me to do the global. So being able to go back and for like, look, big picture and then zoom in on like, okay, but where, like for you with your calf, where is the piece that's actually turning out to be the little like chink in the armor? How do Mm -hmm. I manage that? So then when I step back as a whole, I am to your point integrated and everything's working Mm -hmm. as it should, because that Mm -hmm. one little piece is going to set off a storm of other problems potentially down the line, right? It's not just going to sit there on its own and be annoyed. It's being annoyed is going to make like you're back on the other side, then maybe do some kind of hinky thing. And then your one shoulder is going to go up because your neck isn't loving it. You know what I mean? No, it'll start this kind yeah. of cascade of stuff. So being able to go in and kind of pinpoint, okay, why was it that after four minutes I needed to stop running? It was my calf. Okay. Let me go in and address the calf, see what's going on here. And then, you know, I, I retest or whatever, go back to the run and see, okay, yeah, actually now that I've spent some time doing that, I can do six minutes. Great. Let me stay yeah. there, you know, and then yeah. from there. Yeah. Uh, that retesting. Yeah. That's perfect. Break it down. You know, do we need to do, do the super boring things and then put it back together and test it because that testing in itself will give you the information about where to go next, right. which is what being a body detective is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being an integrated human. That's all we're trying to do is just to be more human. And it's right. a lot of work. <laughs> so much work. <laughs> Okay. Well, this has been super, super fascinating. And I know that there are like infinite amount of additional fitness myths that we are going to continue to tackle. So send us your fitness myths. You can hit me up on Instagram at Hala from Allah. Uh, you can even send Sarah a, a DM. You are at Sarah Court DPT. That's right. Let us know what questions have been percolating. What lies have you been told about your body? I feel like something about the psoas we need to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We need so I will make a note for that okay. for uh, our next conversations. Awesome. But thank you for hanging out and uh, helping us to debunk these myths because there's so much nonsense and confusion out there about what to do with your body. There really is. Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm going to do this all day. Okay. <laughs> well, what are you doing at two o'clock? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. I hope you are feeling way more confident about sorting through the nonsense on the internet and most importantly, doing what is best and right for your body. We want to know what the biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And the best thing in the world is to hear from you what you thought. So hit us up on social. Sarah is at Sarah Court DPT. I am at Hala Famala. Tag us in a story. Send us a DM. You could even call me on the Body Nerd hotline and just leave a voicemail. I never answer it. Don't worry. 818-396-6501. We would love to know what you thought. And also... Tell us what other fitness myths you want us to debunk and to talk about and other things that you may have heard that you're not really sure if they're true or not. Let us do the heavy lifting for you. Now, before I go, don't forget that show notes, fun links, free downloads, the Body Nerds group and everything else lives over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And you know the drill, subscribe, review, share all of the things. And I appreciate so much when you take the time to do so. It really means a lot. So here's asking better questions, moving more, busting fitness myths left and right, 
and getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and that you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks and body work is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. Head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.